gonna, um, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something a little bit different this morning. We, we there's not gonna be like a, there's a specific scripture we're gonna read, um, but I, I want to talk to you about a concept that that is so apparent and so obvious in scripture, um, but it's one of the the things that is is least lived out in this life. And I would even describe this as, from a personal standpoint, probably the most powerful thing that I have learned to add to my life over the years that I see in Scripture. And it's one of those things that I would even describe as secret. And not, not secret in a sense that, like, it's not known. Not secret in a sense that, like, when we start getting into it that you won't recognize it. Not, not secret in a sense that it's, like, hidden somewhere. But secret in a sense that no matter, no matter how much you may know it or think of it or be able to say it or repeat it back up here, it's a secret in that you don't know how to actually live that out in your life. But there are uh, very, very few people in this world and very few people in Scripture that we see. But the one that we see this concept living out in their life on a practical level, they are some of the most powerful men and women of God that has ever walked the face of the earth. Does that make sense? It, it, it's, not, it's not secret in a sense that, that you won't be able to repeat it back before you leave today. But what is secret is that most people never learn how to live this out in their life. That's the secret. And that's what I'm going to talk about uh, this morning. And I, I would say that that over the course of, of my walk with God, I would say that over the, the course, especially being in ministry, um, being uh, in, in a form of leadership and, and, and watching and, and God move and being a part of, of a move of God, I would say that, that this, is, this, this thing has been the thing that has allowed me to be able to make it through some of the most turbulent times. And, and this is one... Uh, unanimous factor, one uniting factor where all of us can come together with this, this one uh, truth in our life that no matter how old you are, how young you are, where you come from, how rich you are, how poor you are, what, what, what side of the tracks you may come from or what your background is, that no matter who you are, this is a reality that all of us live in this life, that there are seasons of turbulence. There are seasons of difficulty. There are seasons of outright spiritual, emotional, and physical attacks that come against our lives. That, that there, are, there are times, even on a national level, where it just seems like everything is just kind of closing in around us. Like every time we, we open up the newspaper, or I'm sorry, no one under the age of 40 has ever read a newspaper. When we, when we open up our phones and, and look, somebody shouted, I have, okay, the 1%. All right, so... We, when we look to the media, we look to the news, we look at what's going on. It just seems like every day there's like a new crisis. And nothing's like a small problem. Everything's like a giant problem. It's like, 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 like there's, there's nothing like things are kind of okay today. There's some small issues, but everything's kind of so It's like every day it's the apocalypse. It's, this is a hard, this, will, this, is the, this, is, this is how it ends, guys. This thing right here. Tomorrow it's something else. From on a day-to-day level, on a life level, there in our marriage, now this is just I just there's a few people like this. I call them liars, but there's a few people they believe in their heart and their mind. They or at least they 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 portray this that everything just seems to be going perfect in their life, right? Every Facebook status, I mean, it is just they just they don't have enough characters to tell you how awesome life is. Their marriage, I mean, is just absolutely pristine. They uh, smiles ear to ear. They almost look like psychopaths. Right. 
They just, they, they smile so much, they're so happy all the time, you hate these people. I mean, this is just, the they, they, there's no, it seems from the outside there is no issues, there is no problem. Their marriage is perfect, their kids are perfect, like everything, family, they're going great, their careers are perfect, everybody else is getting laid off while they're getting promoted. I mean, it just is like, it just seems like that. Now, I know that I'm, if I keep going down that path, like eventually there'll be nobody left. In there. Everybody knows that, that that person really doesn't exist because we all go through seasons of turbulence. We all go through seasons of difficulty. We all go through seasons where, where we're attacked, where things get uneasy, where we start to get affected uh, by the bigger things going on in the day-to-day. We all go through seasons, especially like in our marriages and in our families, where it just, it just seems like we, we couldn't even point to it, but all of a sudden we just feel like everything is like about like two feet away from hell itself. Does that make sense? Like it's just like you don't even, like I come home and it's just like every, like every, you don't even, and then all of a sudden it's like Courtney hates me. Like what? Like what? I took the trash out. I did, I, I did, I did that. And you're going through, and it just seems like, it just seems like, I, Courtney just comes up, she's just like, why are you mad at me? Why are you mad, Jordan? I'm like, I don't really know. I just, I'm just mad. I'm just frustrated. It just seems like you, you can't really point back and go, oh, it was that fight. Or it was that, you did that, or I did this. Or you can't point, it's just all of a sudden, it's just things aren't really great right now. And you don't really know why. Right? Am I the only one that actually has a real marriage? I just, just hang with me. I mean, I'm not, I'm the only one, I'm the only one that has a real marriage. All your other husbands, you just, you just, they come home, you just, they just worship you when you walk in the house, right? You can do no wrong. Don't be full of crap this morning, right? We just, we, we don't really know, we don't really know when it happened or why it happened. It's just all of a sudden, we just feel like we're in this season of attack, like there's just things kind of closing in. Sometimes it's because of decisions we made. Sometimes it's because of exterior circumstances. Sometimes it's because of sins we committed. Sometimes it's because of sins other people committed. Sometimes it has nothing to do with us. It's just outright, genuine spiritual attacks, emotional attacks, physical attacks, just stuff in the culture. Just we get to these seasons in our life where it just seems like we're just getting our family, our marriages, our lives, our purpose, our calling, just getting chopped at. And we really don't know what to do or how to handle it. Does that make sense? Everybody goes through this. Our nation right now is going through a not-so-good time. So much division, so much corruption, so much stuff going on. And it just, when you, we look into it, it just, it, just seems like, it just seems like there's just this absolute chaos and th- just kind of coming against us over and over and over again. This is the thing I want, I want you to understand. It's in, it's in these moments, these, these seasons of attack, these moments of attack, these, these pinnacle moments of attack and, and stress and anxiety and the stuff that when the walls are like it's closing, it's in these moments that will define who you are and how you end up in this life. When things are going great, when things are going fantastic and you're just walking in victory, you just, you just wake up and you just, things are just great. I mean, you just can't contain yourself and you're just going. It's not these moments that will shape you. It's not these moments that will shape your marriage. It's not these moments that will shape your family. It's not these moments that will shape your future. It's not these moments. It's when you're under attack. It's when the temptations come. It's when sin shows its head. It's when you're in the pinnacle decision-making mode about jobs, career, and future. It's in these moments that your life will begin to change. It's in these moments that your future will be dictated. Does that make sense? It's in these moments. And how you handle these moments is massive. And I, wanna, I just want to talk about two people in the Bible right now. The first one I'll talk about is Elijah. If you don't know anything about Elijah, Elijah was a prophet of God in the Old Testament. Elijah was supremely powerful. He was, God used him to do crazy, amazing things. He, I mean, he walked, he stopped the rain. 
right? He stopped the rain. Just think about that for a second. He altered the weather pattern for years. That's huge. We, we can't even, our, our news people today can't even dictate the weather at all. Like from morning to afternoon, I, it was been pouring down rain for an hour and a half. I got an alert on my phone, 70% chance of rain. I'm like, these people get paid a ton of money to be stupid all the time. And this guy stops it. He's, cha- he's being challenged by one of the most evil kings and queen power couples in history, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. And there's this huge, this huge false uh, god and false prophet army that had kind of shown up that served Baal at the time. And, were coming, and the people of Israel were, were bowing its knee down to this thing. It was a tur- very turbulent time. And God used Elijah in crazy ways. All the way up to this moment, this Mount Carmel moment. And if you've never heard of Mount Carmel, he, he brings all the, all the prophets of Baal up on this. He challenges them to have, a, have a, 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 just a, a, a God off. I don't know if that, that sounds wrong. Like a, like a, it's just that you get up there on a mountain and they're like, okay, listen, who's God's going to show up? And whoever God shows up, that's the real God. And that's how life's going to go. And so he challenges this entire army, this entire section of people to come up. And all the people of Israel come up and everybody's watching. And, and the prophet, uh, the 400 prophets of Baal, they're doing their thing and they're cutting themselves. And they're just acting stupid and just crying out. And, and obviously nothing happens. And, and Elijah just gets down on his hands and his knees and he prays to God. And God pours out fire down and he takes it up. And he makes this massive show of himself, just shows his power and his glory. And, and all the people of Israel, they, they fall down and they repent of following Baal and they, they turn to God and then, and then uh, Elijah takes out a sword and physically wages war against the prophets of Baal and just kills them all. It's just this great, crazy, it's like the Super Bowl, like the champion of championships. This is like the greatest victory you, you could imagine in life. This is his moment. And then he runs uh, away. He comes in and he catches King Ahab and he, he tells him, okay, all this stuff's about to happen and it happens. And then all, just, all in this just two-day period, all this crazy, amazing stuff happens. And then, and then he gets this message from uh, Queen Jezebel. And it was a very short, simple message. And this is what it said. I'm going to kill you, period. See you tomorrow. That was it. I'm going to kill you. And after watching all of the stuff that God had done, this was this, this, was this, this, this attack. This pinnacle moment that's going to dictate Elijah's future. That's going to dictate a lot about the history of Israel. And in this moment, after seeing everything that God had done and walking through all this victory and walking through this mountaintop experience and just, and just seeing everything go his way, in this moment, he gets this one message from Queen Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. And he does something that is, it just seems shocking. He drops his faith at her feet. He picks up fear and he just runs. And he just runs. And there's a lot of people that'll tell you that, 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 that they try to put a healthy spin on this and, and they try to they give Elijah a lot of credit here that he really doesn't deserve. And, 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 and they, they talk about him and all this stuff. And it, it's a story. It's really the, the preceding days are really a story and miracle of, of God's grace and his mercy. But, but Elijah ran absolutely in fear away from the danger, away from it. And, and he goes in, and, and, and we know two things. We know two things. At every other point in Elijah's life, this is important, I want you to listen. At every other point in Elijah's life, he listened to whatever God said. He waited. He didn't move until God said, go. Go here, go there, do this, do that. Go on this mission, go accomplish this. Go do whatever it was, and then he went and he did that thing. 
But in this moment, he's sitting there in fear, and he runs, and he's crying out on this juniper tree for God to kill him. And then God comes, and in his mercy, doesn't kill him, and, and kind of gives him some strength. And then Elijah does something he had never done before. He moved without God telling him to move. And he just starts walking off into the desert, walking to the, to the Mount Harab. It's right beneath the mountain of God where God brought down the Ten Commandments. And God never told him to come out here. And we know that because when Elijah gets out there and he's in this cave and he's just whining and crying and everything. And God shows up. And the first thing God says is, why are you here? First thing he says, why are you here? What are you, what are you doing here? I didn't tell you to come here. I didn't give you any direction. I didn't tell you. Why are you here? You ran in fear after, after all my power and I poured out fire from heaven. I did crazy supernatural things and I protected you all these years. And you get one threat from Jezebel and you throw your faith in me to the ground and you run in fear out here. And then you just keep going for 40 days into the, into the wilderness without me telling you to. And now, why are you here? And this is the thing, and I want you to hear me. I want, I want you to hear me because there is this, there is this mentality, I think, sometimes like in, in, in the faith and in followers of Jesus and especially in the modern church that, that everything is a Rocky Balboa moment. And no matter how many rounds of it being bad, you know he's going to win at the end. No matter how, I'm telling you, I mean, that, that's kind of, that's kind of that, that modern American church mentality. No matter how much you mismanage your money, God will provide for you in the end. Not true. No matter how deep the hole you dig, everything's going to be okay. Not true. No matter how many affairs you have, your marriage will make it. Not true. Hey, it worked. <laughs> you feeling me? In real life, if Rocky gets the crap beat out of him for eight rounds, he dies in the ninth round. He doesn't just miraculously come back and have a yo Adrian moment. The Russian kills him in the real life. And see, I, I think sometimes in, in, our, in our minds, we just feel like, oh, we're, we're Christians. Oh, we, we go to church. Every, everything's going everything's to be good. Everything's going to, it's just, we're just, we're going to be, no matter what happens, we're just going to be good. Not true. Do you know what happened to Elijah in this moment? Elijah was one of the most powerful prophets that had ever walked the face of the earth. He did things that we cannot fully comprehend or imagine in this day and age. And at the threat, he throws his faith down. He runs in fear. He begs God to kill him in the desert. He takes him to this mountain. And then this is what happens. He gets replaced. God tells him, he says, I'm the only prophet on. God says, well, actually, you're not the only prophet. I have 7,000 hidden over here. You're not nearly as important as you think you are. That's a lesson I think everybody needs at least once a week. And then he says, and I've got some directives for you. He said, go raise up this guy. He's going to be king over here. Go raise up this guy. He's going to be king over here. And I need you to go find Elisha for me because he's going to replace you as my prophet. And that was it. And he rested for a while and he left and he went and he raised up and he was replaced. And that, that is a way to handle life. That's a, way to, that's a way you can handle these moments, these moments of attack, these big decision moments on which job to take, which school to go to, who to date, who to marry. You can, just, you, can just, you can just run away. You can handle things in your own wisdom, your own power. Or you can do the thing that King David learned to do. See, David was another powerful man of God. 
But David learned to handle situations, these turbulent times, these seasons of attack, this spiritual darkness, emotional uh, darkness, the, 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 the war, physical. This. David learned how to handle things in a different way. See, if you don't know anything about King David, King David was a shepherd boy who God raised up to be the king of Israel. And while we were just like playing games and wine, and David was out killing lions and bears, he was just a special, just a special kid that God raised up. But at a very, very, very young age, David began to be attacked by everybody you can imagine. He, 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 was, he went and gained this massive victory over Goliath. That, that's 90% of us. When we think about David, we think about David and Goliath. And we think of this, this just valiant warrior who just rained down. He just was like, like some guy in the movies, just victory after victory after victory. But David, David spent a lot of his life being absolutely attacked in ways that we can't imagine. Everything from the grand scheme of like entire nations like the Philistines attacking and being after him, like King Saul coming after him, trying to kill him, like his son Absalom who raised up a political army and, and spent four years. It says he stole the hearts of the people and then he eventually took the throne from David and David had to deal with that. I mean, there was, there was continuous, constant attacks on his purpose, constant attacks on who he was in general, on his physical life, on his family, on his relationships, on his marriage. There was continual attacks from the day that he stepped off the field from killing Goliath. There was absolute political, physical, spiritual war. Every attack you could imagine. Every season of turbulence you could imagine that came against David's life. But David handled things totally different than so many of the people that we see in Scripture. And definitely handled things so different from Elijah. And if you're not careful, what you're going to jump ahead of me real fast. And you're going to be like, okay, I get where he's going. I got this. Uh, uh, okay, I get it. Okay, so let me just see if I can go over this, uh, Pastor Jordan. So Elijah, all right, in fear, he dropped his faith at the feet of Jezebel, and then he ran off into the desert, and, and, and he, he ran away in, in fear and not in faith. And, and, but what David does is David stays, and he fights the battle. David stays in faith, and he's strong, and he pulls out the sword, and he has a brave heart moment, and he, and he stays, and he just fights, and he wars, and he does his thing, and then he wins. That's, that's the message, right? That's the lesson. That's what you're trying to say is if you run away in fear, you get replaced, you die, but if you stay in faith and you fight the battle, everything's going to be okay. No. That's not it. Everybody's like, oh, man. It's just for sure that's where he was going. That's not, because here's the thing. All David ever did was run. In fact, that was David's first instinct, always. Run. Except for Goliath. Goliath really wasn't coming after him. He just felt raised up by God, and he just looked around everybody, and he was just like, this stupid giant, I got him. But when he was attacked, whether it was King Saul, whether it was Absalom, whether it was the Philistines, whether it was a smaller matter, whether it was a, his first instinct was always, always to take off. Immediately. Immediately. Run. But I want to read you something. And I had a hard time finding a scripture because not because there's, there's only one or two, but because there's so many. There was something about the way that David viewed God. There was a specific way that David viewed God. And he wrote about it continuously throughout the Psalms. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of scriptures. 
hundreds and hundreds of, uh, uh, of songs of, of praise and prayer songs and stuff that he put before the world and he lived out in his life. Hundreds of different ways. It came down to this very specific, powerful way in which he viewed God. And before I read it, before I go any further, I went on to, I'm not talking about some philosophical level or some theological concept. The secrets, I'm telling you, if you're not careful, when we get into this, you're going to be able to know it up here, and you're going to be able to say it, especially if you grew up in church, and you're going to be able to get there before I get there. But but the secret is learning how to, not on a philosophical level, not on a theological level, but on a very real, physical, and tangible level to be able to live this out in your life day to day. David knew how to do this, and this is why. And I just, I'm going to read this, I'm going to read this one scripture, I'm going to read two different ones, Psalm 91 and then Psalm 63, it says, Psalm 91.1, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. This is Psalm 62. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times. O people, pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Over and over and over and over again, you will see David penning these words just like this. God is my refuge. God is my fortress. God is my strength. God is my strong tower. God is a mighty eagle that protects me in his wings. God is the strong rock. Over and over and over again, he, he creates these images of God being his refuge. God being his, his refuge. And this is the secret, and this is the thing that, that so many believers of Jesus, so many followers of Jesus, so many Christians, so many disciples, so many people, especially in the modern American church, this is the place where I'm telling you right now, if you're not careful, you will hear me up here, you will get it, you will say it, you will write it down, you will leave, and nothing in your life will ever change. But there are a few people here this morning, I believe, that will hear me with spiritual ears and be able to put this in a very real and practical way into their life, that God is their physical re- refuge. Not a philosophical idea, but an actual day-to-day, physical, tangible, real-life refuge in a world of chaos and destruction and hate and evil. God is our refuge. David saw God as his refuge. And this is the difference between Elijah and how he handled that moment and David and how he handled all those different pinnacle moments, all those smaller moments, all those seasons of attacks, all those distresses, even on the back season of his own sin, even no matter what it was, no matter what he walked through, no matter what came against him, David saw God at his refuge. And this was the difference. Elijah, in fear, ran away from the problem. But David, in faith, retreated to the refuge of God. And there's a difference. Elijah never intended on coming back. 
Elijah was foregoing his purpose. He was foregoing his calling. He was foregoing God's will. He was foregoing what was happening. He was running in fear away from the problem. But David said, in faith, I'm going to retreat. If you just run away with never intention of coming back, that's not retreating. Retreating is looking at the enemy saying, I'll be back in just a little while. Hang tight right here. I'm coming back. And there's a difference. There's a difference, and you. And there's a difference in, 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 in handling things your own way. And I'm going to tell you, there's three ways. There's three ways, and you need to write this down because this is going to be the way you live every single moment in this life. I can tell you right now, whether you believe in God or you don't believe in God, whether you've been in church all your life, you follow Jesus, or whatever you label yourself, I'm telling you right now, there are only three ways that you will handle these moments in your life. Number one, you will run like a coward away from the problem. You won't stand and fight for your marriage. You'll just run away because it's too hard for you to handle. You won't stand up and fight for your family. You'll just leave your kids and you'll take off because it's too hard to handle. You won't stand and fight for your purpose or fight for your calling or fight for what God's doing in your life or fight for your future because it's just too hard and you will just run like a coward and never come back with all intentions of dying where it is you land like Elijah. Second is you will try to stay and handle it in your own power. You'll try to stay and handle it in your own might, handle it in your own strength, handle it with your own wisdom, your earthly human foolish wisdom, handle it in human strategy. You'll try to stay and figure life out on your own according to the ways of the world and the ways of culture. Or three, the first thing you will do in a sign of trouble, in a sign of attack, is you will retreat into the refuge of God. It's this third way that separates those great men and women of God who changed the world and the rest of us. They, they learn to retreat into the refuge of God. I want to share three things about the word refuge with you. Number one, the word refuge means a place of safety. A place of safety. All three of these things are connected. See, Elijah, Elijah wasn't just running. He was just running away from the danger. He wasn't really running towards anything. He was just running. He was just running. David, he was running to where he knew there was true, genuine safety. It wasn't just an absence of danger, but it was the presence of protection in God. David learned a, a, a long time ago in the early years of his life that when King Saul showed up or when an army showed up or somebody came with a threat or, or a group came or somebody was after his family or, or his family, his wife had been kidnapped, his kids had been kidnapped, what's happened? And all these moments, in all of these moments, he, he could have run, just run to run, or he could have gone out and fought in his own battle, gone and handled things his own way. But every single time, he chose to retreat into the safety, into the hands of God, into the hands of, of the presence of God, knowing that, that God would be his protection knowing that he would buy time in the presence of God. It was safety. I'm telling you, in this world, the idea of safe place has kind of become abstract to me because I don't, I don't know that there, there really is a safe place in this world. I don't know that, I don't know that there's a place that you can go with, with, with so many different realms of things going on in this life. I read our, this is sad, but I read our, that every day, everybody who drives is four inches away from death at all times. That's the distance on average that we get between us and another car. I was like, why would you write this article? This is terrible. It makes me scared to go to the gas station. 
But like with, with, with life, with so much deception, so much division, so much chaos, so much war, so many different people hating other people for so many different reasons, I don't know that there is a safe place in this world anymore. But I don't know that that's any different than the way it always has been. I think for David, he just realized, he just recognized that, that there is only one true safe place, and that was in the presence of God. The second thing, it's not just a safe place. Refuge literally means it's a place of, of renewal and healing. It's a place of rest. And this is the thing, and I, I want you to... I want you to just think for just a second, because this, this is where so many people, they get, they, they get attacked in this way, and they don't realize that it's happening until it's too late, because th there are pinnacle moments, like when Saul's coming after David, when, when Jezebel's threatening Elijah's life. There's pinnacle moments in your life, but there's also that death by a thousand paper cuts, where your marriage is just taking just a little hit every week, every week, every week, every week. Anybody work out? Everybody, you work out? Raise your hand if you work out. Four people? Four people work out? Raise your hand if you work out. There you go. Wake up! Raise your hand if you've ever done curls. Curls for girls. Raise your hand if you've ever done curls for girls. Right? You know what that is? That's, when you, it's a, that's the beach muscles. Getting like this. I've never understood the strength of having a... I mean, how heavy is your drink going to ever be that you have to have strength to be able to pick it up? Give me one functional idea where, where strong biceps come into play. Picking up your car? I mean, I'm, I'm kind of just leaving the message for a minute, seriously. At what, outside of your biceps being big and cool, most people, they can't touch their face. You know, they, cause then the, what, what's the point of having strong biceps? I really understood it. But we're going to use biceps as an example because everybody who's ever worked out, they've done curls. It's like one of the most basic, basic things. They stand in the mirror and they just love themselves. Just like this. They couldn't squat five pounds, but they could pick up. You know what I'm talking about? These are guys that they have to waddle because their legs might snap because of the way their upper body. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You ever, you ever go to a gym? That guy is walking in like this. And you're like, he didn't forget his pants. He forgot his legs. Like, bro, how are you? You're floating in on here, man. I just never got that. Everybody's like, I'm strong. I can curl 200 pounds. And I'm like, that's not strength. That's a waste of time, actually. Like, can you even, I, never mind. So here's the, here's the thing with curls. Here's the thing with curls. It doesn't matter how strong you are. Because there's people in the room, there's people, if you picked up, say, 200 pounds, you couldn't curl 200 pounds just because you're not strong. If you couldn't, you might not even be able to pick the bar up. Some of you, maybe you could. Even if it was 100 pounds or 50 pounds or just 25. Just say you had, had 25 pounds. And you, just about everybody in here could curl 25 pounds about once. I'm not going to do it again. In the first service, I just slammed Taylor for like five minutes about curling just because I'm jealous but no matter how, no matter how no matter how but just I think everybody here could get 25 pounds of but here's the thing and I, the point I'm trying to make is if you started if you started curling 20 just 25 pounds that was it and it, you could just you just pump it out you just stand in the mirror you're just like yeah it's gonna be awesome look at girl she's looking at me she's not ever looking at you actually you're just arrogant and foolish you're like everybody's staring at me I'm doing curls 25 over time doesn't matter how light it is over time it starts starts getting harder, and you, start, and you start shaking, and now everybody is looking at you because you look like a wuss, <laughs> and that's why you got to do the, the Ron Burgundy. You're like 999, 1,000. <laughs> that was for all the millennials and the sinners who watch secular movies. So 
but like you know, you just you just start you just start shaking. You can't handle it. You just and over time, no matter how light it was and how easy it was, it just gets where you just start shaking, and then you get and then you can't even pick it up, and then eventually you can't even hold on to it, and you drop it. Does that make sense? And this is the reality of life, and this is the thing, because there a lot of times it's it's not that big battle that gets you. It, it's it's not that that one huge moment that gets you. It is a period of life where you are trying to do life without the rest and renewal and strength of Jesus Christ. Where you're trying to handle your marriage in your own power. And it doesn't matter what it is, eventually without rest, eventually without strength, eventually without a renewal, eventually without a, a period of resting in the power and the presence of Jesus Christ and the power and the presence of God, the power and the presence of his word, eventually without learning to rest in that, it does not matter what is coming against you, it will eventually get you. Does that make sense? I'm telling you, marriages just don't end because of one huge thing. Marriages, they end very slowly. By the time you realize it, it's just usually too late. Life, life, doesn't, life doesn't get bad in a, in a moment. It's not one singular bad decision or, or bad moment or attack of the enemy that ends your life. It is a lifetime. It is years of never learning how to rest in the presence of God and trying to do life your own way over a period of years that gets you to that place, gets you so deep down in a hole that you dug yourself that you can't get back out of. Does that make sense? It's, 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 not, it's not just that one big thing that happens. It is a period of attacks, a period of seasons, a, just, a, just a multiple little things that over time become too strong for you to carry and you drop it in failure and defeat because you were trying to do it your own way and you never learned how to, to retreat back into the refuge and the strength of God. I'm telling you right now. I would say, I would even go to say 99% of those big decisions, those, those big mistakes, those big sins, those big attacks, those big things, most of those things come along in your life and take you out because you never learned how to handle the small things in the presence of God. But David, David didn't do anything. David didn't do anything without retreating back and finding rest in the presence of God. He didn't make a move. It didn't matter what it was. He just, he retreated back. It, it wasn't about fear. It wasn't about not having faith. It was faith that drove him away from the battle for a minute and retreated into the presence of God. Because of the third word, the third thing that refuge means in the Hebrew language. The third thing, it is powerful, Taylor, you can go ahead and come up. The first one is safety. It's a place of safety. It's a place of, of protection. Second, it's, it's, a, it's a place to get renewed, to get refreshed, to get restored, to find rest so that you could pick the bar back up and keep going. But then the third one just is the one that I want you to hear this morning. The third one is a place to plan your counterattack. That's what the third one is. That's literally what it means. It's, it's, it's in the actual definition of the word refuge. One, a place of safety. Two, a place of renewal a place of rest, a place of, of building back up the strength, and three, a place to plan your counterattack. And this right here is the secret to David's continued success over the course of his life. No matter what, what decision he was making, uh, no, matter, no matter what, even if it was his own sin, like with Bathsheba, 
Even, even if, it was, if it was a small exterior attack, if it was a large exterior attack, if it was something coming up within his own family like Absalom or, or if it was a political thing or if it was a, it didn't, matter, it didn't matter what it was in David's life and it didn't matter how small it was and it didn't matter how big it was. For David, as soon as there was an enemy, as soon as there was attack, as soon as there was a season of question, some of the most deadly seasons in your life are not seasons of attack, they're seasons of question marks. When you don't know what to do or where to go or who to date or who to marry or what school to go to or or what the big decisions in life, it's just a big question mark. These are some of the most deadly seasons in our life because we don't know how to get into the presence of God and seek guidance. So we make life-altering decisions in our own wisdom and our own power, usually with impatience in mind. And then 10 years go by, 15 years go by, and we don't know how in the world we got where we are. And it's because we never learned how to retreat back into the presence of a powerful and living God. For David, it had nothing to do with fear. He wasn't running from Saul because he was afraid. He wasn't running from Absalom because he was afraid. He wasn't running. He was running to put himself into the hands of God. He was retreating back into the hands of God, into his refuge. Because from his young age all the way up until the day he died, every single time he retreated back into the presence of God, he retreated back into his refuge. Every decision he retreated back and said, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? What do you want? Do you want me to attack or do you want me to run? Do you want me to go or do you want me to stay? Do you want me to do this? Do you want... No matter what it was, how small or how big, he retreated back. And he had a continual life of safety, a continual life of renewal and rest. And he had a continual plan for the counterattack. Always. Always. And for me, in my life, in the last few years, I'm telling you, this is the thing. This is the thing that has allowed me to make it. Because there's been a few things, I'm telling you, I'm not, I wasn't strong enough, not strong enough, never be strong enough to handle the burden that comes with life. And that's the thing I think that you, you, you got to understand is, is you're not built strong enough to handle this life without God. You're just not. You're not, you're not built. Your, 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 psycho, your brain, your mind, your mental, your emotions, your, your spirituality, your physical body, you are not built to handle this life, to handle the attacks of the enemy, to handle what the culture throws, to handle this world without the presence and the power of God. You're just not built that way. And all of you know it. Because eventually you get to that place to where you have nothing and you, you just feel crunched and crumbled. And then in that moment you cry out and in God's mercy, he reaches down and saves you. But the secret is learning how to start in the presence of God rather than cry out for the presence of God as your last ditch effort to survive. Which is how most of us live our life. Most of us in this room, most modern American Christians live their life just like this. You do what you want, say what you want, go where you want, marry who you want, do whatever job you want, buy whatever you want, live any lifestyle you want, do your own thing. And then when things get in this crazy, dark place, then you cry out to God and then you get mad at him if he doesn't come save you fast enough. That's your life. Most of us, that's our life. We do whatever we want. David was different. David said, You're my hope, you're my salvation, you're my rock, you're my strong tower, you're my provision, you're my guidance, you're my protection, you're my power, you're my everything. And no matter what the turn was and no matter what the situation was, no matter what the attack was or what the decision was, he learned the power of retreating into the presence of God. And this, again, I want to make very clear, this isn't a philosophical thing or a theological thing, this is a practical, real, day-to-day thing. And you guys are sitting in my refuge right here. 
I'm telling you, almost every day of my life, every situation that comes up, every, every heart, I'm telling you right now, I think sometimes on Sunday you guys come in here and the music plays and we, and we preach and you guys don't understand the amount of spiritual attack that comes against this house. The amount of things that we have to walk through. But no matter what it is, I find myself right here in this room. I turn off all the lights. I shut all the doors. I lock myself up in this place and I don't leave until I hear from the spirit of a living God. And it's, it's not that I, I'm not confident in myself. In fact, I'm more insecure than I am anything else. I'm not confident in, in anybody's wisdom and leadership. I am confident in one thing and one thing only. I know that my hope rests in Jesus Christ. And I know that he has made promise after promise after promise after promise that whatever comes against us, not only will the church move on, not even the gates of hell prevail against it, but that he will protect and raise up and lead his people into eternity. I know that no matter what happens in this life, I will stand before him blameless one day. I know that whatever decision we make and whatever comes against us, my house, my family, my marriage, I know that my hope rests in Jesus Christ alone. And I'm telling you right now, you better learn to handle your life like this or world will crush you. Your pride will take over. Your arrogance will take over. Your wisdom, you will begin to think that you've actually got life figured out. And you'll just start picking jobs and choosing jobs and choosing people to date and choosing colleges and choosing life. You just start doing all your thing and then your 20s will disappear. Your 30s will disappear. 40s, 50s, 60s. And then your life will be over and gone. And all you've done is barely survived it. Go through one marriage, two marriages, three marriages. But the ones that learn to humble themselves. And the minute, the minute, not two days in, not a week in, not a year in, the minute something rises up, the minute there's tension, the minute there's a decision to make, the minute there's attack, you retreat into a physical, genuine refuge, the presence of a living God. You dig into prayer. You dig into your word. You dig into that, and you don't leave, and you don't make a move until God speaks and guides. And I'm telling you. This is a secret, and this is the thing I'm telling you right now. Most of you will hear me. You got it up here. You got it figured out. World's life, you're going to go to lunch and nothing. But there's a few of you, this is going to change your life forever. Because you're going to learn how to retreat into the refuge in the presence of God. And it's in this refuge that genuine safety exists. It's in this refuge that rest and renewal exists. And it's in the refuge that God will give you the guidance and the power to not just withstand the attack, but to counter the attack. Retreating, it's not running in fear. Retreating is getting prepared. And I see this the most in the life of Jesus Christ than I do any, anybody else. Do you know the thing that's just stuck out to me this week? Right before the, the, the Last Supper and the cross, Jesus retreats into the Garden of Gethsemane. And it wasn't out of fear. He didn't, he didn't go there out of fear in hopes that they wouldn't find him. He knew they would find him. He knew they were on the way. He went there into the presence of God for what reason? To prepare for the greatest battle the universe has ever seen. It was in that garden that he cried out to God and he said, Father, your will, not mine. Give me the strength to get through it. I will die on that cross if that's what you called me to do. Just give me the strength to do it. They come and got him. He went out and he reigned through the cross and gave us the greatest victory humanity has ever seen. But he retreated before the victory came. He retreated into the presence of God. He retreated into the refuge of God. And I know you're great, and I know you're mighty, and I know you're smarter than me, and I know all that stuff. But let me tell you something right here. If King David and King Jesus had a life of retreat into the presence of God because they knew they needed it, how much more do you need it?
So I challenge you this morning, ask this question. Ask this question to your heart and to your mind. When that attack shows up, when that decision comes, when that season, that turbulence, when that tension, that stress shows up, who do you go to? How do you handle it? Do you run in fear? Do you try to handle it yourself? Or at the first sign, do you retreat back into the refuge, the safety, the, re the renewal, the rest, the power and the guidance and the presence of God? This is the thing that will separate people who live in this world and people who change this world. If you just want to go to church, do your thing, make it through and die and go to heaven, great. But if you want to fulfill your purpose, you want to walk in a life of power, you want to know for sure the clarity of your future and have the power to accomplish it, you have to learn the power of retreating into the presence and the refuge of an almighty God.